This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. What would you do differently if you knew that God was your boss? Yeah, I'm talking about in reality. If you knew that God was your employer. If you're a manager, if you are an overseer, a business manager or so on, there in whatever it is you're doing, and you knew that God was your ultimate boss, would you do anything different in a positive way? Is there anything that you would not do anymore? And as an employee, realizing that God is your boss... Would it change any attitude that you have toward your work? Perhaps some of the things that you've been saying on your lunch break? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about our work. We're going to be talking about our work from God's viewpoint. You see, viewpoint does determine destiny. It really does. And our viewpoint concerning our work is determining destiny, even the destiny of our country. I have in my hands a book that came out in 1990 called The Day America Told the Truth. It's an unbelievable book. What people really believe about everything that really matters. Two advertising executives for the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency wrote this book, The Day America Told the Truth. Chapter 21 is called Modern American Business, Greed at the Top. Much has been written on the loss of world markets shared by American businesses and why we can't seem to compete the way we used to. According to thousands of workers and bosses, one very important and underestimated reason is clear. The perceived low ethics of management is a major cause of our problems as a business world, they write. When we asked about their business ethics, American executives owned up to and pointed a shaking finger of guilt at themselves. They know that they're doing wrong, said Patterson and Kim. The manager's views of their own actions, their own morality is even lower than the one their co-workers have of them. Wow. As if that were not enough, we shift then not from the managers, but to the employees. Chapter 22 of the book, The Day America Told the Truth, American Workers Get to Tell the Truth. American workers are as disloyal to their jobs as their bosses and companies are perceived to be disloyal to them. Over their lifespan, the average American worker will spend 76,900 hours on the job. But to hear a person after person tell it, Americans make poor use of those working hours. So here's the truth as the workers see it. The so-called Protestant ethic is long gone from today's American workplace. Workers around America frankly admit that they spend more than 20% of their time at work just goofing off. Almost half admit to chronically malingering, calling in sick when they're not sick and doing it regularly. Only one in four give work their best effort. But then why should we, they ask? After all, half of us genuinely believe that you get ahead not through hard work, but through politics and cheating. 
About one in four expect to compromise their personal beliefs in order to get ahead on the current job. And only one in ten say they are satisfied with their jobs. Only three in ten Americans say that they are loyal to their companies. Whoa! And that was just for starters, friends. The day America told the truth. Well, we're going to tell the truth here today on Viewpoint. And we're going to try to tell the truth with our special guest who's joining us. Never before has Brett Billups been on this program, but he is going to hit a home run today. His book is called Biblical HR. I thought it stood for home run, but then he reminded me, no, it stands for human resources. Biblical human resources, applying eternal truths to everyday work. Brett, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you, Chuck. It's great to be here. Well, what do you make of it? That was back in 1990, and things haven't improved since then, have they? No, they've not. In fact, they've actually gotten worse. I mean, as as soon as we removed uh, uh, God and ethics from uh, the workplace, it, the productivity diminished, our uh, engagement of employees diminished, and it's it continues to get worse. It's just when we think of the bottom line only instead of God, then there are consequences to that. Well, you're coming to us uh, today as somewhat of an expert witness and as a trial lawyer, former trial lawyer, I always had to qualify my witnesses, especially if they were coming as expert witnesses. So uh, tell us, uh, what is your experience in the world of work and uh, human resources? I have been in human resources about 30 years for both public and private companies. I started out in in smaller private companies, actually in Wisconsin. I'm a born and bred Texas boy, but I married a girl from Green Bay, Wisconsin, went to work for her father up in uh, Green Bay. Uh And um, after a few years, I got on with a a public company called Kraft Foods, was with them for about 13 or 14 years. Uh Uh-huh. Just a small little company, right? It's a a very Kraft Foods, yeah. Mm -hmm. They split into... Two companies, Kraft and Mondelez. I went with Mondelez, and they started consolidating a lot of the HR function. And I, I thought that there was a, a better HR career in another company, so I got on with Iron Mountain, which is another public company. They do document and storage and shredding. And I was with them for a couple of years. Then I got a call from a friend of mine who asked if I was willing to lead the HR function for a uh, construction company out of Dallas Fort Worth that does commercial and bridge and road and project construction across uh, the country. I bet you didn't have to think very long about that because that would allow you to be a Texas boy again. Well, I actually transferred back to Texas with Kraft. Are you kidding? No, I was with Kraft Corporate, and the person who hired me into Kraft said, they, they started eliminating some corporate positions as well, and he said, Brad, I've got... Two positions, one in Texas and one in North Carolina. Which one do you want? And I said, I will go home. <laughs> so that was 2006, and I have, uh, this is where I will spend the rest of my days, I think. Well, you also have some HR experience in the home front. Uh, you're married for 30-some years. You have four kids and uh, a bunch of grandkids. That takes some uh, uh, human resource uh, experience, too, doesn't it? It does on a – personal and professional human resources are certainly different, aren't they? Well, I have found so, – I'll tell you, uh, I have found that uh, 
after having been married now 56 years with uh, three kids and uh, 11 grandchildren, that some of my more challenging HR, human resource uh, uh, experiences, have to do with the local front. They do. <laughs> but they're, they're actually more rewarding. As long as you, yeah. it, 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 when you pay attention to that. And all right. So all what? Good. What is this human resource business? Uh, didn't it used to go by some other name years ago? Yeah, it was uh, personnel. There you go. And, Person. I knew there yeah, was another name. Or it, it was. It, it was primarily just a lot of administrative and transactional work. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Thirty or forty years ago, but that's that's evolved and transitioned into to incorporate a lot of other components all right we'll pick up on that that after this break stay tuned friends oh you don't want to miss today's conversation once upon a time children could pray and read their bibles in school divorces were practically unknown as was child abuse in our once great america virginity and chastity were popular virtues and homosexuality was an abomination so what happened in just one generation hi i'm chuck chris Meyer, and i urge you to join me daily on viewpoint where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes could america's moral slide relate to the fourth commandment listen to viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org You are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. In fact, wherever we are planted, we're to bloom where we're planted from God's perspective, and we need to have God's perspective, and that is that we are called to his kingdom for such a time as this. And each one of us is planted in a different place. Some are planted in the workplace, as traditionally understood. Others are their own uh, bosses, so to speak. But in reality, they're not their own bosses from a biblical standpoint. They are serving Christ. They're under servants. Interestingly, even though I founded Save America Ministries back in 1993 as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation and have been the sole voice here on this program for 26 years, still, I'm an underservant. I'm not the kingpin around here. He's the kingpin. God is God, and he is king, and the king is coming back. So we want to be prepared to serve him at the highest level that God has planted us wherever we are in his workplace. And it is his workplace, isn't it, Brett? It is his workplace, and we have to, that is, uh, it is very important that we remember that, yes. All right. So you wrote a book called Biblical HR, and it doesn't stand for home run, although hopefully our human resource uh, dealings uh, bring us about to somewhat of a home run in dealing with the people, but not always, because people are always people, aren't they? People are people. I have found that no matter what organization I am in, whether it's a public or a private or even outside in personnel, personal interactions, people are still people. Well, it's interesting. There's a kind of a... A, a bit of a not-so-humorous joke among pastors and uh, people in ministry that ministry is one of the greatest callings except for the people. Yeah, I've heard that joke. That is, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I could get a lot of work done if it wasn't for all these people. Exactly. Wow. But uh, it's all about people. And people are made in God's image. Sometimes it doesn't look like it, and it certainly doesn't sound like it. 
but we are. And the question then is, how do we serve as a boss, as a manager? You use the term manager a lot in your book. How do we do that from God's perspective? I think we have to remember the the primary thing that we need to remember is that we were created and designed by God to operate by biblical principles. That's number one. So we have abdicated a lot of those things to corporate policies and agendas and company policies and agendas, and we have done what is right in our own eyes. Mm-hmm. But we were created and operate uh, to operate by biblical principles, even at work. So biblical principles work in the workplace. So why not look to Scripture for guidance on how to deal with the issues that we have in the workplace? Well, a lot of it has to do with our attitude, doesn't it? It's not just our actions, but our attitudes. No, it's our attitude, exactly because we are serving God rather than ourselves or men. I mean, that's who we are working for. God is our ultimate boss, as you said earlier. You know, just in the last just in the last week or so, I've had opportunity or challenge to deal with two or three different business people uh, of necessity. Uh, We needed their assistance, and in some instances, we thought perhaps their assistance went went beyond what was necessary. Uh, or we were challenged by a charge uh, that came through. But then, as I thought about it, I didn't really want it to have to go that way. But in reality, unfortunately, necessity demanded the services of these particular individuals. And so I actually told them, the workman is worthy of his hire, and therefore, I respect what you're doing. I'm so grateful that God sent you to us the workman is worthy of his hire. Now, that's a hard one sometimes in this workaday world in which we're trying to get all the gusto we can for the least amount possible. We are. Sometimes we take that too far and we get uh, greedy. Greed sometimes comes into play whenever, especially in the workplace and in a business, uh, greed clouds our judgment and clouds our care for people. All right. So... What's the difference between a boss and a worker? Isn't it? Isn't there one sense in which every boss is actually a worker, and every worker, in some respects, become a boss at some level? They are. A boss has actually. It's almost like a uh, the, the the responsibilities of a teacher. You respond. You are going to be held accountable to a higher charge. Mm -hmm. Those put in your charge, you will be held accountable to. So serving is uh, the ultimate goal, and serving Christ is the ultimate goal whenever we look at things in the workplace. Some people might say, well, that's just just too religious. Uh, It's not really that way. I mean, this is a dog-eat-dog world. We live in a a reality that's not like that. That's just theory. Uh, What do you say? Well, there are times where we need to be wise, but that doesn't compromise our biblical responsibilities. We are to be wise as serpents, but still have the, the the heart of Christ. Christ operated that way as well. He could tell, he knew who was uh, following him and who was not. And we are to be wise in that respect and have a servant's heart to others, regardless of what the the circumstances or situations that these individuals bring to us. 
I like what you said. Your the purpose of your book is to provide a biblical map of sorts for employees at every level to navigate common HR or human resource workplace issues. That you are able to evaluate each situation with a godly mindset. That's an attitude and maintain that attitude regardless of the trials or outcome. Now, we are told that we're going to have trials and tribulations in this life. Is there any exception to that? No, there's no exception to that. We all have trials and tribulations. I think even in our workplace, we try and separate ourselves from that and separate ourselves from trials and tribulations. But trials and tribulations are what God uses to sanctify us and Mm -hmm. draw us closer to him and to embrace those and understand that. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Oh, yeah. Ran, ran away from the, the situation that God wanted him to preach to the Ninevites. Mm-hmm. And he ran from them and missed out on God's opportunity to show grace and mercy to them when he left and went and, and sat under the tree. Interestingly, interestingly, though, in running away from what God called him to do, which he thought was a horrible thing because the Ninevites were known for their ruthlessness, yet they were the only ones in the Bible that ever repented from the message of a prophet. That's exactly right. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And why are we not called to do the same thing in honoring God in our workplaces? Exactly. So when you say you are called to further his kingdom in the trenches of secular work, you are called to handle workplace situations through your relationship with Christ not by worldly standards or corporate policies. I couldn't agree more. And yet, it seems that worldly standards and corporate policies are the end-all to end-all, even for Christians in the workplace and in management positions. Why is that? Well, I think it is because they have filled that gap. Corporate policies and procedures have been a necessary fill of the gap. And we as Christians have and we have taken that as gospel which it is not mm-hmm. and we have abdicated that responsibility but we haven't had the tools and resources to actually put our mind in the in the right place to honor God in specific workplace issues corporations have filled that gap yeah. so i think that's a wonderful opportunity for us as christians to look at things from a different perspective. And the moment we have that corporate mindset, we lose the personal relationship, don't we? We do, because but the corporate mindset is one of share price, bottom line, increasing productivity, increasing. Now, some of those things are good. Now, businesses uh, exist to, uh, they are going to make a profit. They are going to increase productivity, but mm-hmm. doing it in a godly way right. is dramatically different. Absolutely. And it's also more rewarding, isn't it? It's absolutely more rewarding because you'll have happy employees. You'll enjoy where you are working. You'll, your employees will enjoy working there, and you're honoring God, and God blesses that. All right, friend, if you want to be blessed where you're working, 
whether you're in a management position, a boss, or a worker at some level, an employee, this book is for you. It will encourage you. It will strengthen you for such a time as this. Because if there's ever a time that we need to be and become the people that God has called us to be and become, it's in these challenging, this challenging time of, of world history. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to judge us according to what we do, according to how we conduct ourselves. The Bible says he's going to judge every man according to his work. That doesn't mean you're going to be saved by your works, but you're going to be judged according to your works. Isn't that interesting? So this is a big deal. This is really, really a big deal. And I want to make the book available to you for your gift of $19 to Save America Ministries. This book is so well organized and written. And the attitude with which this book is presented is so wonderful and encouraging that I wanted to encourage you with the message of our guest here today on Viewpoint. $19 will put biblical HR in your hands, applying eternal truths to everyday work. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 per postage and handling. Now, uh, Brett, pride, as you say, is the enemy of godly, effective leadership. And that's true whether it's in the pulpits of America or in the pews, whether it's in management, in business, or as an employee, isn't it? It is. It, there are two types that when I... When I think of pride in leadership, there's two types of leaders that I that I typically see, mm-hmm. and that is individuals who think their way is the best in a pridefully way that is more hierarchical and not collaborative, my way or the highway, do as I say, or individuals that think that their way may not be the best, and they seek the best solution. Mm-hmm. They they seek advice and counsel, and they look at the best solution for their, their business issues or, or productivity. So those are two types of leaders that I see, and pride actually inhibits business growth. It, 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 inhibits, my... it inhibits growth, and it inhibits the product uh, of the business, no matter whether you see yourself as a servant leader or as a uh, more of a, a dictatorial leader. And That's the reality exactly. is, if you're going to be a leader, you have to have a measure of confidence that you really do have a vision and understand uh, what to do in the majority of circumstances. But it doesn't make you God in the workplace. On the other hand, oftentimes I have found that people who think their servant leaders are really just people pleasers. There are a lot of pastors like that. Oh, a lot of pastors like that. Go along to get along, make everybody happy, so they don't even tell the whole truth about what the Bible has to say. And so we're in deep trouble because we get confused about our roles. Uh, we mistake uh, confidence for pride. We mistake uh, uh, so-called servant leadership for go along to get along. How do we deal with this? I think I want to touch on something that you talked about with 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 Christians 
actually holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are some weird. Jesus held people accountable. He sure did. When at the women at the, with the woman at the well, mm-hmm. he was very gracious and kind and encouraging to her, but still held her accountable to her sin. With the Pharisees, it was completely different. He was very. <laughs> you, wait strong, a minute. Wait a minute. Are you suggesting, Brett? that our concept of gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, mild, with a little halo over his head, isn't always accurate. Oh, no. He's, uh, he, he, can, he can bring the big guns when he wants to, and he does. So, <laughs> Particularly with we, those who are supposed to be most responsible. Exactly. All right, we'll pick up on that after the break. Biblical HR, human resources, how to apply eternal truths to everyday work. We have so much more to talk about, and there are a lot of things we'll never be able to get to. That's why you need to get a copy of this book. It's on our website, saveus.org. $19. We'll put it in your hands. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Believe it or not, God desires that you prosper. He desires that you prosper in your work, in your business relationships, and so on. That's how things work. In fact, he says he wants us to prosper as our soul prospers. So the problem usually is that our soul isn't prospering much. So we try to seek prosperity in alternative ways that are not godly, that are inconsistent with the word, the will, and the ways of the Father. And that's when we get ourselves in trouble, whether we're a boss or a co-worker as an employee. That's why we get in trouble. We forget that we are really God's workers. We're working for him. He is our ultimate employer. Isn't he, Brett? He is. And what better boss to have? There is no better boss to have. And wouldn't it be wonderful if if we all realized that every day? I don't realize that every day. But if we all realize that every day and having a desire for his heart and the desire to meet his expectations rather mm-hmm. than our um, just simply filling our uh, worldly boss's expectations, it's, it's totally different mindset. Absolutely, totally different mindset. And our actions are determined by our attitudes. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about the attitudes of being. He didn't talk so much about the actions. He talked about the attitudes because he knew that the actions would proceed from the attitudes, didn't he? 
He did, and that's exactly right. That's one of my, my one of my favorite verses is first Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Absolutely. You, you know, a lot of people will say, I hear it so often, but God knows my heart. Well, that's the problem. He does. He does know your heart, and he, your heart is revealed by what you're saying and what you're doing. It is. It actually, and, and it, it manifests itself in the actions that you take. So wherever your your heart leans, if you are if you are money driven, you're going to cut corners. You're going to to fudge numbers in mm-hmm. order to to drive money objectives. But if you are godly driven, you're going to make different decisions. All right. So how do we deal with uh, coworkers that uh, can be snarky? That can uh, uh, not be carrying their end of the bargain, so to speak, sloughing off, uh, nasty behind the scenes. What What do you do with coworkers like this? No, I think uh, Scripture is very clear. When Christ says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may not be sons of Father who's that you may be sons of Father who is in heaven. So we are called to a higher standard, mm. because we also need to remember that we were once enemies of God as well. And safe, and search your heart for any fault that you may have in that relationship. Are so look for, look for the, uh, the, the beam in your own eye before you start looking for the sliver in your brother's eye. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because every interaction that you have should be gospel-oriented. I think a lot of people would say, you know what, that's just, that's just theory. It doesn't work in the real world. How do you respond? Of course it does. Again, we were we were designed and created to operate by biblical principles. Of course it works. Exactly. Now, it may not work exactly the way you want it to. Right. It's not a it button pushing. It, it's not a button pushing operation, is it? Punch this no. biblical button and everything is hunky dory. No, not even the even the book. Even in the book, it's not prescriptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you follow all of these steps, everything's going to be hunky-dory, not necessarily. Right. It's just to put us in the right godly mindset to make godly decisions and and help us to handle these situations from God's perspective and not our own thoughts or, or desires. That's one of the things I really appreciate about uh, your your book, and that is it's written from the standpoint not so much as a self-help book, but as a visionary book to help God's people recapture a vision of how important their work is from God's perspective and to accomplish that from God's viewpoint so that we please him no matter what else goes on in the workplace. Thank you. You've hit it right on the, you hit it right on the head. That is my hope and desire and that Christians are encouraged and they are um, given the resource to, to have the confidence to apply their faith to their workplace. When I was an attorney, uh, I was frequently asked to become part of a Christian arbitration uh, among Christian business people that had disputes with each other. And uh, one of the things that I discovered was even among Christians, this was a very tall order. 
because my Christian brothers and sisters were largely governed by worldly thinking. And even when you tried to handle things from a biblical perspective, they weren't satisfied. They wanted a worldly result. That's exactly right. And because they want to resolve the conflict in their, to achieve their own objectives. A lot of conflict is just a, a, uh, a competition between two worldly desires. Between what causes quarrels amongst us is the desires of our heart. So those are, those are what causes the conflict. And there's some conflicts. There's some people who, who are not interested in resolving conflict. That's true. They're just not. They just, they, they like to foster conflict. They, they love the power that it gives them. So we have to be able to live with unresolved conflict as well. So that's why we're told that uh, we're commanded to do everything we can to live at peace with all men, uh, especially those of the household of faith, right? As as much as is it up to us, yes, we are called to reconciliation and seek reconciliation to everyone as much as is it up to us without compromising God's truth. That's an important exactly. point. Thank you. So. So we can't compromise God's truth or objectives for the resolution. And that's why we have to be able to live resolve with unresolved um, conflict. Well, that's that's bringing us to some aspects about the workplace, uh, particularly for those who are in a management role. Uh, when you're dealing with some of these new, uh, modern, perverse and perversion uh, standards of modern culture, uh, that are being forced upon the workplace. How do you deal with that? Yeah, the the one the major one that comes to mind, Chuck, is the the gender identification. Yes, uh, that's that's the one that is. It is a it is a um, a hyper um, escalation of sinful desires. Now we have to recognize that, yep. and we can't compromise to that as well. So, so, but again, being wise, the only thing we have, we only have a couple of options. We can uh, uh, identify them or address them with gender neutral pronouns mm-hmm. or take a stand and say we are not going to do that. But that is one of those things that there are some individuals that I have heard would, well, I'm going to address them by their preferred pronoun now. And leave it. Have a relationship with them and open for the God. No, you can't do that. That's a stumbling block to them for the gospel because all you're doing is just uh, you're compromising God's truth. Exactly. You're catering to the worldly standard, and now you yourself are as compromised as they are. It's exactly right. Mm. So we, we can't do that. And there are other people that say, "Well, just use their legal name." Well, if they change their legal name from Will to Wilma. Mm-hmm. is that, that that still puts you in a quandary. So I, there's only two options. We General neutral pronouns or take a stand. Wow. We've, we've, we've got to be wise as, as the prophet Daniel in circumstances like this, don't we? We do. It's exactly right. And Daniel is a great example. Um, I mean, he was able to, to, to live under unreasonable rulers up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Without compromising God's truth. And then he had to make a stand, and he didn't do it publicly. He didn't do it out front and egregiously. No. Uh, he didn't do it pridefully. No. But they spied on him, and they were they were set to take him down because of his stand. They knew that they that if there was one way they could get to Daniel, that's the way they could do it. 
his faith. Yeah. That's exactly right. So we're faced with the same kinds of things today, aren't we? We are, and we will continue to be faced with them. I mean, there are any time, for example, that we, and there are a lot of other issues that uh, current culture is trying to um, highlight as well. Any time that we seek our identity in, in our differences, mm-hmm. it causes division rather than unification. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, egregiously uh, out there is that among our Christian colleges, the management, the presidency, the boards, uh, the those overseeing in our Christian colleges today are succumbing to the worldly standards playing games with the world in order to try to be more successful. And they're defining deviancy down, even the most so-called evangelical, evangelistic of those are defining deviancy down through their leadership. They are. uh, Satan comes as an angel of light. And some things that sound good from a... Uh, emotional or even thought perspective are mm-hmm. evil. Yeah. They're just, they, are, they are just evil. And we have to we have to be ever more discerning, especially in this current world, as to identify evil for what it is. Exactly. And evil is always that which disagrees with what God has said. That's in, exactly in whole right. or in part. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Now what if you're a boss uh of at whatever level and you have to deal with an employee that uh, just isn't performing. It's a tough call. They might even think they're performing. On the other hand, they may know they're not performing, and there may be ulterior motives below the surface. You don't know why it is they're not performing. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that you need to remember. Is that Are you evaluating in individuals or employees based on a set standard that you have established for the position. Mm. So understand that you have communicated what the expectations and roles responsibilities yeah. for the position and holding them accountable to that. All right, let's pick Not up on that after this break, Brett. Hang in there. Sure. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're 
talking with our friend Brett Billups with his wonderful book, Biblical HR, that's Human Resources, How to Apply Eternal Truths to Everyday Work. This book is uh, very, very practical, very, very helpful to help us uh, navigate uh, some of these very, very difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's very real. And the Christian life has to work in a very real world. That's where Jesus came. He came into this real world to manifest, to manifest the ways, the will, and the word of the Father in living color. Now he says, Father me, follow me. All right, Brett, uh, you were talking now about how to deal with a circumstance where an employee uh, is just not living up to snuff. What do you do? The, the scripture that comes to mind that has always been helpful for me is in First Thessalonians 5. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So it, it's, uh, number one, you have to identify what actually is the performance issue. Mm-hmm. They may be going through a personal time, a difficult time, maybe going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're, they're simply insubordinate, that they don't have a desire to do the job. Um, you have to clarify what type of poor performance needs to be addressed. And different approaches apply to different circumstances. As we talked about earlier, Christ confronted uh, sin with the woman at the well differently than he confronted sin with uh, the Pharisees, encouraging the faint-hearted, which is the weak-willed is, I think, the the word that is used there. Mm. And be patient with everyone. And when you hold people to objective standards rather than your own standards, it, it takes you out of the picture. You're just holding people to objective standards. Mm-hmm. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, that was written in 1990 by two secular advertising agents for the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency, The Day America Told the Truth, a chapter on work. They At the end of the chapter, they ask these questions. Are you an honest worker? Someone you work with asks you to cover while he or she takes a day off. Would you do it? Do you think that exploring other job opportunities on company time is ethical? Would you give your boss information that you knew to be false? Do you think that telling minor lies on a resume is ethical? You find out that a colleague is padding his or her expense account. Would you say anything? Your boss gives you an order that involves your breaking the law. Would you obey the order? Someone offers you a million dollars for your company's secrets. Would you accept the offer? You find out that your boss is cheating your company. Would you say anything? And have you taken the credit for somebody else's work? Would you lie to your boss to protect your job? Would you ever conspire to get your boss's job? You usually slack off a little when your boss isn't around. You know what the problem with that is? God's always around and he's your boss. Do you think that making personal calls on your company's phone is ethical? Uh, do you find yourself taking home office supplies for your personal use? 
Well, that brings up a chapter that you have written, Brett, Unethical Behavior in the Workplace. Sounds an awful lot like it, doesn't it? It does, and it's uh, you're exactly right. Those are practical questions that individuals should ask themselves in the workplace. Isn't the it amazing that that would come from two advertising executives uh, in a secular book? And you know what's, it, what's interesting, we talked about this earlier, is that the, the truth of God, number one, is written on everyone's heart, mm-hmm. and everyone is designed and created to operate by biblical principles. Honesty is one of them. Ethics is one of them. So it, it's written on our hearts. We just don't. We just choose to not follow it sometimes for to meet our own objectives. One of the things I really like about your book is after laying out the the basic issue, uh, you you follow it up by a series of uh, statements that help us to set the course for our thinking in that particular area. Uh, for instance, in talking about unethical behavior in the workplace, you say first of all. We have to live a life beyond reproach. That's what we're called to do. In fact, we're told that Jesus isn't even coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. We're to live blameless. Whoa! That's a tall order. That's coming from our boss, isn't it? It is. And as we... The definition of character and integrity, and we've heard this before, is that how are you when no one's looking and no one's around? Mm-hmm. But God is. So you have to remember that anytime you think you're getting away with something, you're not. What if we're drawn into something that uh, seems to be unethical? Uh, it's kind of like the situation where everybody's doing it. This is just common practice, and so it's justified uh, people taking supplies from the office, uh, people using the telephone inappropriately, stealing time from the employer. Well, that's just what everybody does, justifying ourselves by what everybody does. How do we respond? Other than, well, you're not gonna, are, yeah. are we going to look like uh, goody two-shoes? So? So what? <laughs> I mean, it's... Following, if you're if you're honoring God with with your life, mm-hmm. who cares what? And, and that's hard. I mean, I, I, I granted that's hard to go against the flow. But we have an audience of one, not an audience of of pleasing our coworkers or pleasing our bosses or trying to get away with or um, get along with other people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, you're going to be called goody two shoes, but. They're convicted themselves. The reason that they call you that is because they are convicted in their own hearts that what they're doing is wrong. On the other hand, if we're if we're walking in humility and not pridefully uh, presenting ourselves as the end all to end all, but merely humbly seeking to do the will of the Father, uh, that will help to avoid the goody two shoes accusation. I think. Yeah, it does sometimes. In, in some respects. It, it does, yeah, sometimes it does in some respects. But um, you're going to be called, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be persecuted. So, and that part of that persecution is, yes, you're going against the flow of what the, the, the world says and does and operates, and you're absolutely going against it, and you're going to be persecuted for it. And one of those persecutions may be called, 
Judy well, and that's okay. the scripture says it's okay if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, but not for unrighteousness sake. Jesus said, by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Uh, that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give account thereof in the day of judgment. So does that also apply to what we say in the workplace? Uh maybe around the water cooler or in the break room or uh, in just general conversation, gossip and uh, sexually uh, uh, jokes and cutting sarcasm and bitterness and complaining spirit and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I mean, Paul talks in Ephesians about let no filthiness or foolish talk and accrued joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving mm. and speak gracious words and edifying words and we're called to we are called to a different standard and that is to not let unholy speech come out of our mouth all right so you're sitting in a, or standing in a situation where and, and this could be true for women or for men it doesn't it cuts mm-hmm. across uh, females and males alike uh, they all have their sexual innuendos and their jokes and, and conversations. So uh, let's suppose that uh, two or three are standing around and you hear that kind of thing coming out. Uh, how do you respond? Uh, I, most of the time, I just walk away. I just quietly remove myself from mm-hmm. that situation yeah. and just not be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the first thing that you need to do. And a lot of times, if you start confronting it, there may be times where you have the opportunity to confront it and say, you know what, that's just not appropriate. And it's especially when they're being very crude about an individual that is another coworker Mm -hmm. or someone that is um, maybe even maybe they're making fun of someone who is disabled. That is totally inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. So there's sometimes that you. It's very appropriate to confront directly inappropriate, uh, inappropriate speech. And sometimes if they're just making sexual crude jokes, just walk away. Yeah. A lot of times an employee or even a, a person in management feels unappreciated. They feel like they're underemployed or uh, overworked and underpaid, as they say, Uh and they begin to allow a root of bitterness to dig deep into their heart. Uh, how do we as Christians respond to that? Well, it, it, that is, and I have I have struggled with that as well. I'm I'm, I'm not immune to that. Mm-hmm. But it's whenever we seek our identity and joy from our work performance and the approval recognition of men, rather than receiving those things from life in Christ. That's when we start feeling unappreciated or underemployed. So remembering the gospel, remembering the gospel in those things, that we have an identity in Christ. As Colossians 3 says, our life is hidden with Christ. And just remembering that and continuing to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, remembering that's our identity, not in our work performance, not mm-hmm. in our boss's approval, not in our co-worker's approval. Our identity is who Christ is and what he's done for us. You know, it's interesting, uh, the Apostle Paul says that we should actually, he, he addresses slaves or servants, and he says, look, you guys should serve as unto Christ. 
Yes, your position is is below, but you should serve as unto Christ. That is an attitude issue, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is an attitude issue. Even Peter addressed it as well in First Peter two. Submit to even unreasonable bosses. Yeah, we were we were, we were called to do that, but that's a heart attitude that we have to work on every day. We're not naturally inclined to that. We're just not. You know, one of the things that that historically has been true in the American workplace is that people would go to work for a big corporation or something, and they'd work there for the rest of their life. They have one job, they work for the same employer for the rest of their life. That isn't the case anymore. There's a migration from workplace to workplace to workplace, and I think part of it uh, is a revelation of the spiritual condition of our minds and hearts, kind of like the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried, I tried, and I tried. Uh, Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, we're living in a very different kind of economy, and people become, businesses change, they're being bought out, uh, so much change is taking place. So how would you speak to uh, someone who is troubled with workplace weariness or uh, just stress or these kinds of things that develop over time in your job? Again, the major thing, a lot of those have a common thread, is that workplace weariness comes as a result of not being able, a lot of times, not being able to control our situation Mm -hmm. or our hearts desiring something else. And centering it back on Christ is uh, primary. I think the last couple of years, as you you talked about, people started reevaluating their lives. Mm -hmm. And they started uh, seeking something different than what they have now because the, the flexibility of working from home more time with family well it changed everything didn't it it changed everything unbelievable well brett billups our special guest today what a, a pleasure i i feel like we've really established a kingdom connection here brett his book biblical hr doesn't stand for home run it stands for Human Resources, How to Apply Eternal Truths to Everyday Work. $19 will put this extremely helpful and encouraging book in your hands. I hope you'll get a copy. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us. If you do, add $5 for postage and handling. And become a partner, friends. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home and discipling for destiny right here on Viewpoint. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.